It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, let's do it. It's hit the books time. Sweet 16 edition alongside the basketball editor for the score, Matthew Winnick. Alongside, you know him from the Hit the Books College Basketball Channel, Corby Craig. I am merely Brad Powers. We are going to give what each and every one of you want out there. That's best bets. We each got two best bets in Sweet 16 action. Can't ask for anything more than that. There's only eight games coming up on the Thursday, Friday card. Before we get to those best bets, though, guys, I want to remind everybody that make sure if you're watching on Twitter, make sure you're heading over to the YouTube channel so we can see your questions and comments live. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the Hit the Books YouTube channel so you can get notified in real time whenever a video of ours drops. We have tons of college football, college basketball content planned. We got some NFL draft coming up here as we get closer and closer to the draft. Finally, if you do enjoy our content, please smash that like button. It really helps us grow. Guys, before we get into best bets, I'll start off with you, Matthew. Any major takeaways from the first couple of rounds of the NCAA tournament? And first, let me say this. First show I've been doing with you, uh, it's a pleasure, man. Yeah, nice to be on. Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, I mean, the obvious takeaway that it's kind of been beaten down to death, but it has to be reiterated just how poorly teams have been shooting from the field in this tournament. And you don't know if it's nerves. It's also kind of pace, but teams, I think, are in the low 30s at three-point percentage and that just has to be sort of in your thought process when you're making bets, especially teams that are reliant on the three against good defenses. And I think a lot of it is just some defenses are really, really stout and they're showing that and offenses haven't really adjusted yet. And that's something you got to think about moving forward here. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, the poor shooting has led to the under being 35 and 17 so far yeah. in the tournament. So I never recommend you ever play blindly bet something, but if you did, uh, kudos. Yeah, you can probably buy uh, if you're betting a lot. You probably drive around in a brand new car right now. Uh, Corby, any major takeaways from you? Yeah, a lot of unders. It seems that that has steamed my numbers towards like a lot of overs in the Sweet 16. So that should be fun. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But the main thing for me has been just the lack of dominance up top. We saw Auburn up 10 at halftime versus Houston. We saw Alabama struggling without Brandon Miller, though they have pieced together really big wins every single game without Brandon Miller really doing anything. Uh, it's just the lack of consistency at the top. Also, UCLA team who's banked up doesn't look too great and consistent. Uh, they did look good for most all of that Penn State game, but um, we just see a whole bunch of not Penn State, NC State, I mean Northwestern. Jeez, but uh, we we see a whole bunch of inconsistency throughout the tournament. There's not really been any team other than a UConn maybe that has impressed me start to finish of every game. UConn team, uh, that might, uh, wink, wink, hint, hint, that might be a team that appears uh, later on in, in the show as far as the best bet category. And, and speaking of best bets, might as well get it started here. I mean, that's what people are tuning in for. Matthew, I'll start with you. We'll go, first off, we'll go hammer play, which is like a silver play. That's our number two play. And then we'll go sledgehammer play to close it out. That'll be our gold number one play of the Sweet 16. Your hammer play, Matthew. Yeah, so I just, it's funny. I just talked about the unders. I'm going with an under in for my hammer play and that's going to be under 137 and a half in san diego state alabama um 
look, San Diego State is a top five defense in Ken Palm, and people forget about Alabama. They think, you know, three-point shooting, Brandon Miller, fast-paced. They're number three. So we're not on two of the five best defenses in Ken Palm in terms of analytically. But what San Diego State is best at is limiting teams' transition. They they, they almost beat Alabama, they almost beat Arkansas in, in Maui earlier this year, except for like a, a really messed up defensive play down the stretch by Lamont Butler. But they're going to do their absolute best to keep this game as slow as possible. And Alabama can speed up anybody in the country. But what you find is when Alabama is in these slower games, they're heavily reliant on the three-pointer because they can't get to the rim as frequently. And San Diego State is one of the best three-point defenses in the country. That's where their emphasis is in the half court. So what's going to have to happen is Alabama is going to have to try to get to the rim in the half court. That's going to be a lot of their offense. On the other side of the ball, Alabama, you know, with Charles Bidiaco down low, seven-footer, great rim protector. They have the number one two-point percentage defense in the entire country. And San Diego State, let's be honest, aren't built around shooters. They have some guys that can knock it down from deep. But they're, they have a pretty gross offense with a lot of mid-range jumpers, which Alabama is going to let them take. And I think if this game stays slow, if Alabama isn't hitting 15 three-pointers, under 137 seems like a pretty reasonable number for it to not climb over. I have already bet it. You're not going to get any disagree, disagreement from me. Corby, any thoughts on the under in the game? Yeah, I like it. The, the most interesting thing to me is San Diego State plays out of their talent basis. So all year they play teams who – they can basically just outwill out physical. And I think that's where most of their offensive production even comes from. So uh, getting an Alabama team who matches up really well, I think their offense struggles first off. And, and the only way that they stay in this game is the fact that they can play really strong, sound defense. And um, I lean that way. Also, eight points is a lot of points. But I see a lot of people over that San Diego State plus eight. I uh, don't know if I ruined Powers player or if anybody has it, but uh, it seems like a lot of points. And Alabama really offensively has struggled as of late. So uh, I do like to side at the under 137 and a half, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Total 137 and a half uh, side, a uh, little bit of Alabama money in the marketplace so far this week. Uh, I think you want, you want to, if you want San Diego state, I think you wait a little bit. If you want to get the best of the number there, I'm not sure that the Alabama money slows down uh, right now. Uh, Corby, your hammer play for the Sweet 16. Yeah, so uh, I also like an under, and it would be in the Texas Xavier game. Texas Xavier under 148.5. I've talked about on this Hit the Book show basically all year. I don't think that Texas is a team that actually wants to play top 60 in tempo, though they've been forced to basically all year. Uh, Timmy Allen has been hurt as of late. He's not anymore, but uh, that kind of sped up their tempo even in the games where they had a chance to slow it down in tournament. Uh, they weren't able to because their big was out. So this is kind of just still this notion that I think that they're not as fast as they show on paper, though over a course of an entire season, I think at this point, I might be wrong, uh, but I'm sticking to my guts. I don't think that they want to play top 60 in tempo. On the other hand, Xavier, uh, they have talented pieces. They have a really good offense. I mean, you see a team who had an assist on every single one of their points for the first 26 points. Uh, and I think that's pushed this number up due to the fact that they were able to do that. But that was versus Pittsburgh and uh, Pittsburgh analytically grades out miserably. So I think I take basically nothing from that game. So I see a Texas game slowing this game, a Texas team slowing this game down uh, and stopping an Xavier team from basically doing much of anything that they want to do. Sean Miller's a great coach. He knows he's going to have to adjust. And so we're going to see a a coaching battle more than a a talent battle, in my opinion. So 148 and a half in a coaching battle is a lot of points and give me that under. 
I have not bet this yet, sad or total. Although I will say I did bet Xavier under both of their first two games. They did struggle. I thought, obviously, it's a team that, that likes to run, but, you know, we've seen them struggle shooting uh, in both tournament games, and we've seen some slower tempo as well, especially in the second half of each of their games. Uh, Matthew, any thoughts on, on that one? Yeah, I haven't bet this one either. Uh, to me, this is just a game where if one team's hitting shots and the other team isn't, that team's going to win because neither team takes a ton of threes, but they can get hot. We saw that from Texas in round one. And for me, that's something I might actually just completely sit out on. But I do agree the pace will probably be slower than as projected, just given how Texas has played all year. Fair enough. Uh, hammer play for me. I'm going to go with the biggest underdog on the board. I'm going to take Princeton plus 10. We talked about, you know, the, Corby talked about some of the parity. Uh, I just don't think you can be laying a significant amount of points uh, when, when scoring's trending down. Uh, I think when, when you look at tempo in, in this game, I don't expect a fast tempo. Both teams are rel- relatively average in, in terms of tempo, but I think if Princeton's going to stay in the game, they're going to slow it down, much to like uh, they did against Arizona earlier. And, and I go to that Arizona game. It's a game that, that, that Princeton didn't shoot the ball well. Four out of 24 from three-point range in that game, and yet they still were able – to pull the outright upset. And then you saw them when they did shoot the ball fairly well against Missouri, they blow out the Tigers. I just think, uh, you know, Creighton's, you know, statistically a really good team, efficiency-wise, offensively and defensively. But again, to lay 10 points in a Sweet 16 game when, when they don't have much experience in, in this round. And obviously Princeton doesn't have much experience. I just th- expect conservative game plans, slower tempo, lower scoring. That all, to me, trends towards the big underdog here. Give me Princeton plus 10. Guys, agree or disagree? I'll go yeah. first. I, yeah, yeah I, you got you, it, Matthew. You want to go? I'll, I'll go first. No, you got it. Um, I think that, look, that number is huge, and that's probably the right side. For me, I look at matchups, and Creighton couldn't be more different of a defense than Missouri, right? They're going to play back. They're going to make Princeton shoot mid-range jumpers and try to shoot over Ryan Kalkman or down low. I think that the under there might also be a decent play because of that. They're going to try to slow it down. And Princeton is a pretty good three-point defense, which is where Creighton's bread and butter was against Baylor, that in the free throw line. I do think Creighton, I'm not, I mean, obviously you're not saying that Creighton's not going to win this game, but that number being as big as it is and Princeton playing with as much confidence as they are, I think that that's a huge number and it's probably the right side. Corby, your thoughts on the game? Yeah, the biggest thing for me here is I, I had Baylor in the last game. Uh, I just have Baylor futures. I didn't bet the game in general. But watching that game, it seemed like Creighton was getting a really lucky. And to put some stats behind my numbers, uh, shot quality, I'm sure everybody's seen shot quality on the internet at this point. Shot quality had that halftime score of Baylor up nine and the, the final score of Baylor winning that game outright versus a Creighton team who just was hitting everything. So I think that the market probably adjusted too much towards the idea that Creighton is a really good basketball team, which don't get me wrong, they're good. But um, I don't I don't think that they're this by any means. I, I like Princeton here. I, I hope Princeton can win. That would be the most fun possible outcome for the tournament. And uh, I think that their offense and their strategies, their, their schemes give a lot of headaches to teams uh, who haven't been pieced together to play that type of basketball. So Creighton hasn't seen anybody like a Princeton offense, I don't believe in. And 10 points is, is a lot to lay. So I uh, tend to agree on the side there. Yeah, and obviously it comes down to making shots. I mean, I'm dead if Creighton's making shots like they were against Baylor. I will say this. I question the ability of Creighton to get a lot of second-chance opportunities. They're well below average in offensive rebounding percentage. Princeton, believe it or not, top 10 in defensive rebounding percentages. So if Creighton's not shooting lights out like they were against Baylor, I think Princeton grabs a majority of the rebounds and not a lot of second-chance points. So Princeton, again, for me, my hammer play, going right back to you, Matthew, for the sledgehammer, your top pick of the Sweet 16. 
I'm going with Gonzaga Moneyline. I think that this is a matchup. Like this is a matchup for UCLA that we've seen them struggle with in previous years. And obviously, this is not the same Gonzaga team as in the past. There is no top traffic on this roster. But UCLA is dealing with personnel issues. Jalen Clark out for the rest of the yeah. season, which is huge against Julian Strother, who's probably Gonzaga's best offensive creator. Adem Bona's back, their star, their freshman big man, but he he averages almost six fouls for per 40 minutes. And Drew Timmy puts big men in foul trouble in nearly every game. And UCLA has no big man depth. The biggest flaw with this Gonzaga roster is their defense. They're in the bottom 150 in effective field goal percentage defense per Ken Palm. But UCLA is 144th. Like they're not shooting efficient basketball. Jaime Hawkes basically just drives to the rim, gets to the free throw line, shoots mid-range jumpers. But Anton Watson is a hell of a defender, and he is going to be on him all game. They both kind of play that four-man position. And if Hawkes isn't going off, Tiger Campbell went 0 for 9 in their last game against Northwestern, which I've been saying all year, Northwestern is just not a very talented team. UCLA did not beat them by much. I just don't see this Gonzaga team looks motivated. Drew Timmy wants to get back to the Final Four in the, probably his final season in college. I'm pretty surprised that UCLA is favored in this game. So I'm going to go Gonzaga with the money line. I'm going to just think that the talent outweighs, Gonzaga's talent outweighs UCLA's talent. And that as long as Bona's in foul trouble, Timmy should have a huge game. As long as one of their guards is shooting the three well, which we saw multiple of them in the second half against TCU, shoot that ball when had a great offensive half. As long as one of them's scoring from deep and helping Timmy out in the secondary role, I don't really see why Gonzaga loses this game. Corbin, your thoughts on the game? Listen, you, Matthew, I don't know if you've watched our show enough, a, a lot, but you don't have to convince anybody here of a Gonzaga future. We uh, we took 34-1 to 1 in January, and this is my squad. So you saying that so, just gives me, gives me the mental pat on the back. I agree. I, I like this matchup. Listen, you don't have to you don't have to bash me too hard to give me the back, Drew Timmy. I think Drew Timmy is uh, the footwork and the ability to score at any moment. He scored, what, 29 in the game the other day? His ability to give his team a bucket when they need it the most can't be – capped or, or underappreciated enough. He He's one of the best I've ever seen at it. Uh, just the, the ability to say, give me the ball and take it a, a highly efficient shot every single time. So uh, can UCLA hit their shots? Possible. I don't think Tiger Campbell's a very good basketball player uh, relative to what he's priced into the market. So I, I don't love this UCLA team. Also injury issues, depth issues. We've seen it. Uh, and so give me the Zags. It's going to be tough. I think that the total was interesting in this one, um, but if it plays towards the Gonzaga pace, I think Gonzaga wins this by four or five. If not, it's going to be a complete toss-up, but a toss-up that I think the Zags can still win at UCLA's pace. Yeah, John, in the chat, I'll get to a couple chat questions here. Uh, who's likely to dictate pace? I mean, that's ultimately who you come down to decide. I think one thing you can look at, like market indicators, if you start seeing a little bit of money on the under, I think that trends well for UCLA. You see money a little bit on the over. I think it trends well for more for Gonzaga. I'm also curious injury-wise, Singleton, you know, I mean, the injury live watching it in the second round game against Northwestern looked like, I mean, he broke his ankle. Badly sprained. I just don't know how 100% if he's going to be close to 100% for this game. I'm not sure how that gets priced in. Early money's on UCLA. Surprise me. Uh, I'm with you, Matthew. I I'm on Gonzaga here, uh, plus two and also money lined up that and maybe I can get a two and a half or we'll see where, where the market trends. Another question uh, in, in the chat, uh, final four ticket on the Zags from Jeffrey, 18 to one. It, here's I'll, I'll give my thought process when it comes to hedging. Is it life changing money to start? If it is, then, then okay. Then we can start talking hedging. Uh, if it's not, it's 18 to one. You're only in the sweet 16 round. 
I, I personally would not be hedging at this point in the Sweet 16 round. That's just me. Uh, your guys' thoughts on hedging, you know, big future tickets. Yeah, same idea. If it's not life-changing or if, or if it's not going to make a substantial difference in your day-to-day, then don't worry about it. Uh, too much stress being put on the idea of, of – and, and, like, 18-1, to 1, how much money did you actually get down on it? Like, if it's substantial, then maybe consider it. But I, I see a lot of times these people ask these questions with, like, uh, just some Christmas money they toss on an 18 to one, feel good about a ticket and then they're trying to get out. But no, I, I think if you, if you think it's a correct bet on the other side, then yeah, for sure. If you, if you like UCLA to win this game, then you're getting a good price to, to get out of your bet. But if you think Gonzaga still has a chance to make it to the final four, there's no reason to hop out of this bet. In my opinion, Matthew, your thoughts on, on hedging future tickets. Yeah, I agree at this point. Like I said, it's a little early, especially where the line's priced at now. I'm not sure that that's going to make a huge impact in terms of the future ticket. Yeah, and Jeffrey, 200 bucks in the chat. Here's another thing that would worry me. Next round matchup, Connecticut. I would say Connecticut's a slight favorite against Gonzaga. Then the round after that, we're talking Final Four. They're playing a Houston. They're probably an underdog there. So, I mean, I... Just I, I would let it ride right now, unless you. I mean, if you really like UCLA to beat Gonzaga, then, then go ahead. And if you're wanting to make a money line bet on UCLA to begin with, go, go ahead and do that. But right now, I wouldn't be hedging out at this at this point on eighteen to one in this round for the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, another chat question before we get uh, to Corby's pick: uh, you, Did you guys bet anything today? Uh, I, I I can tell you what I. This is from Don in the in the chat. I can tell you what I bet. I don't know if I'd bet him at the current numbers, but I took both unders in the CBI games and I took both favorites in the CBI games. Uh, generally speaking, we're now getting to the semifinal round that, you know, these teams are playing in the, both underdogs are playing three games in three days, a lot of overtime. So we got a lot of tired legs. We got four overtime games uh, in the last couple of days, uh, specifically Eastern Kentucky's played back-to-back overtime games. They don't have a deep bench. All five starters are played back-to-back 30-plus uh, minutes in, in both games. So I, I preferred the Southern Utah side, even it, with an interim coach there. So that's for me. Did you guys bet anything in the NIT? I didn't touch the NIT today. Yeah, I, t- I took that first half under the Southern Utah game. I think it was 73-and-a-half this morning, so uh, I'm not sure what it's at now. It seems the unders have been getting steamed yeah. all weekend. So 73-and-a-half uh, first half. I do agree towards the uh, side of Southern Utah, interim coach playing for his p- potential next job. So – uh, and he's a really good coach, probably one of the more sought after coaches, uh, secondary coaches in the nation. So I think they have the coaching edge and Eastern Kentucky. You can't downplay the fact they've played two overtimes in 48 hours. So uh, take with that as you want. I took the first half under. Corby, your sledgehammer play for Sweet 16 round. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I bet this, I think, in our last episode too, but I'm going to stick with the will and it didn't do me right last time. Give me the Tennessee over 130 and a half. I believe we can get a 130 and a half. Um, Tennessee is a team who plays very slow. And all year we've seen these low numbers. Uh, the issue is, I think these numbers are way too low due to the fact that if you've watched a Tennessee game, they're not currently playing basketball. They're playing rugby. Uh, it is awful to the eyes. It is a foul every single time down the court. Filipowski was bleeding from both sides of his face and his elbows. Um, and so at some point, I just tend to believe that they have to call these. And with called fouls, you're getting free throws. Uh, and it's significant amount of free throws. FAU is a team who's going to drive the basket. They have the guard play to get to the line. Uh, and they have a big center, 7-1, who for some reason likes to take charges. I watched them take six charges in the UAB game. Strange. Uh, so I lean towards the over just in the idea that the refs start calling these. Also, this number just seems really low. you got a 128 
in the matchup versus Duke. Uh, Duke significantly slower and better defense than FAU. You get a one third, I think a one forty one versus a Missouri team who I would say is comparable to FAU. So eleven points off market to a Missouri team who Missouri dictated that pace in that eighty six eighty five win. And then just scrolling through, like the slowest team Tennessee has played all year. If you're just trying to go market comparables. Uh, they played a Ole Miss team on a neutral site in the SEC tournament of 128 total. So I think FAU is a significantly better offense. Uh, they want to push faster pace, and they have more to play for in this in this sense to be getting three points off of market from what um, an Ole Miss team was. Which that game was uh, it went over 128, and the pace got pushed down a lot because they were getting blown out. So I think that a lot of things point towards the over here. Give me Tennessee to get some foul calls headed their way. I thought that they should have in the Duke game. Pretty salty about that 125. Um, and maybe an owl's outright. It wouldn't surprise me by any means. Uh, but for the sake of the show, just give me over 130 and a half. Matthew, any thoughts on that one? So first up, I have to say I was on the under of that Duke-Tennessee game, so I, I came up pretty happy there. Um, I do tend to agree that the number is really low. However, what FAU is best at defensively is making teams go isolation and make them score to the ISO. They are number two nationally in terms of fewest assists per field goal made defensively. So they're going to make teams go one-on-one versus Tennessee, even without Zakai Ziegler. They're second nationally the other way. They score, they have the second most assists per field goal made in the entire country. So they're looking to, they're not an ISO team. Like you said, they play rugby. They don't have one-on-one scores whatsoever. So if FAU is able to play their style, make Tennessee try to go one-on-one, I really don't know who's scoring for Tennessee. And on the other side, talking about maybe there has to be some regression on Tennessee allowing teams to shoot. 26.4% from three. That's a, that's a season mark. That's not like a sample mark, not a tournament mark. All season, 26%. And FAU is as dependent on three-pointers as, you know, almost any team in the country. And they got blown out by Mississippi earlier in the season in an SEC school, a much inferior SEC school, because they were able to defend the three-point line. That's my worry. But if this number was higher, I, I would probably be a, a little more, con- a little less concerned. But at 131 and a half, I think you're probably fine. I can still see where that matchup might be a problem. So we don't script the show. Uh, I'll have some disagreement here, Corby. And you're the college basketball guy. I mean, I, I, I'm a college football guy. One thing I will push back on is Madison Square Garden. Uh, from betting a lot, for a long time, I, I tend to see a lot more unders, NIT unders, or at least the market likes to go under. High-pressure game. There's an aura about playing an MSG. I think I did that first half under. I think there might be a, a pretty like almost wow factor, especially for FAU bit playing in this round. Uh, Tennessee, I, I just think is a dead nut under team. But you're right from a price aspect, it is low. Especially you get a foul fest. I think that was the, the best part of the, the handicap you had is, I mean, if they're playing rugby spot and they're call, calling fouls, especially you get the late game foul fest, especially with the number priced five five and a half. But that's where it's sitting with a minute left. You're going to get a ton of fouls. You'll get a Gonzaga TCU situation where you can get 15 points in a matter of 20 or 30 seconds. So uh, I think full game, I I don't disagree with you too much, but I did for first half. I bet the under in FAU Tennessee. And uh, pushback, Corby. Yeah, the Madison Square Garden first half unders have historically done really well too. So you're not sitting on a spot. That's too bad. I just think that that's probably why this number has – so much value in my eyes. I not being in Madison Square Garden make this 134, 135 probably would make more sense. Uh, and maybe that's where we're getting these these points off of what I think it should be. That said, uh, I think this would be a really good spot to hop in live because another reason 
what if the refs aren't calling these fouls? They're letting Tennessee play like uh, they have basically all year. So to get a couple minutes in, maybe a slow start and see the notion of how these refs are going to dictate this game. Uh, if there's four fouls in the first two minutes, which is highly possible how Tennessee have play, has played basketball as of late, then I will be hopping all over this. But uh, I still like the 130 and a half. I feel like we're in a pretty good spot there. Just seems like a really soft number, but I do understand the notion of this being in Madison Square Garden. Good point. Closing it out. Uh, my sledgehammer play. It's going to be sound a little square, but I am going to go to Las Vegas where I'm at. I'm going to lay the three and a half with Connecticut. Couple reasons. Number one, you look at matchup wise. Uh, I think Arkansas obviously wants to drive to the hoop. I question their uh, effectiveness in that area, especially with the big men uh, down low for Connecticut. And if that's not effective and Arkansas has to rely on three point outside shooting, which they rarely do, but when they do, they're terrible at it. That they rank, they don't even rank in the top 300 in three point shooting. Connecticut, meanwhile, top 10 three point defense. So I just don't see how Arkansas offensively has much success here. And I know people in the chat and maybe Matthew and Corby will roll their eyes at this, but, and I'm not sure how you quantify it, but watching all the teams over the last four or five days, Connecticut has that different look. I would say Alabama kind of does. Houston does when healthy. If UCLA was healthy, they would be. But man, when you're watching all these teams and you're trying to look for weaknesses and whatnot, I just don't see too many weaknesses for Connecticut. I mean, you go through their entire starting five. They have the size. They have multiple players that can hit you from the outside. I, I love their, you know, their, their strong forward, number 44, Jackson. I mean, he can bring the ball up the floor uh, and play point guard for you if you need to. They got a 7-2 guy coming off the bench. I just, they have the look of not only a team that, you know, a sweet 16 caliber team, they have the look of a final four national championship caliber team. And obviously they're a four seed. So I think there's been some value because of that four number. Uh, along the seed line for them uh, you know Arkansas obviously impressive win over Kansas I just think they benefited from a Kansas team that was without their head coach when adjustments needed to be made in the second half you know Kansas didn't have them and Arkansas did have the answers I will say my hang-up is I think Musselman's a better coach than Hurley and you give him extra time to prep that's a concern of mine here but I just think Connecticut just very few weaknesses on that team they're a deep team they overwhelm you we saw in both the Iona and the St. Mary's game. I will say St. Mary's player, best player getting hurt obviously helped a, a lot in Connecticut, but I still think they can overwhelm Arkansas here. Give me Connecticut. I'll lay the three and a half. Agree or disagree, guys? I'll start with you, Matthew. Look, I have a Connecticut future. I have them in my final four, but I am a little worried about this matchup. I'll push back a little bit in the sense that the numbers with UConn's shooting are, are pretty, you know, stark. They're 11 and 0 when they make 40% of their threes. They're 13 and 2 when they make 10 plus. And there are only three teams in the country that allow a fewer percentage of opponents' points from the three point line. So my question is: Look, if UConn and Jordan Hawkins is an unbelievable shooter, and 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 uh, Alex Caravan is an unbelievable shooter, they can hit deep contested threes. And if they're falling, UConn will win this game for sure. But if Arkansas can limit UConn's three point shooting, I worry about UConn's ability to score efficiently. And then on the other end, UConn fouls a ton and Arkansas gets to the line a ton. And that's my biggest worry. Now, I do agree with you. I'm not really sure how Arkansas scores either. And so I kind of lean under there. And I do think UConn wins this game, but I'm a little concerned, just a little bit. What do you think, Corby? Yeah, being able to fade Musselman after uh, taking his shirt off to the crowd is always, always good. He won his championship in that Kansas game. So, uh, 
I we talked about it on the live stream when I hopped on. I didn't get to see it, but I have now seen it, and uh, it was it was as y'all said, it was worth it was worth watching. But um, yeah, it's interesting. UConn's played really good basketball. As somebody notes uh, in the chat, shot quality had same areas winning that game by ten, which is interesting. Can to I ask you guys this? I mean, I know shot quality is very popular now and very effective. Market, uh, you know, they, they can affect the market. I I personally watched games. I looked at it. I quit uh, on a game in and game out basis. I don't always agree. What do you guys think? Yeah, I I, that, that's the reason I brought it up is I, I 10 is strong there. I, I don't think I, I did think St. Mary's played a lot better than they're giving credit for. But 10 seems a rough patch. The thing that's most interesting for me is, though, like, let's just say shot quality had them winning by 10. The fact that UConn was able to get it done is, is what I'm wrapping all of this around, because I think that UConn has now played two of the better coach teams in the entire nation. And so to be able to continue to do it, even if the teams are just hitting lucky shots or they're missing bad shots, is is worth noting the fact that they've made the adjustments in-game to actually get the outright win. Because no matter what analytics site says the score should have been, you had to make the coaching adjustments to make that not happen and get the win at the end of the day. So I've been really impressed by Hurley and his ability to coach. I don't love him as a coach, uh, but he has stepped up in this tournament so far. Your thoughts on shot quality, Matthew. I'm anxious to hear it. Look, I think it can sometimes be a great tool. It's especially a great tool if you lost a bet and it shows that you actually probably <laughs> yeah. should have won the bet. Like I had Kent State plus four and a half. I loved them against yeah. Indiana and shot quality. That is a one point game and they lost by 15. Uh, I Look, I think that at the end of the day, getting good shots really does matter. But some teams are just way better at shooting. And UConn... And this is why I do think UConn ends up pulling this game out is, yeah, shot quality doesn't always savor them. They have shot makers. They take tough shots. Sometimes in Arkansas will make them take tough shots. But the eye test in a game and against for a team like UConn really does matter because they just have dudes that can put the ball in the basket. And shot quality does not detect that all the time. Any closing hey. thoughts on the Sweet 16? Any games, that, matchups that we didn't get to that uh, you guys want, want, want to break down or, or talk a little bit about? Any bets that you made that the lines moved out, out of range at this point? Hmm. Yeah, I have a, I have an Xavier to Final Four. I believe it was 11-1. to 1. I don't know what you can get currently. Uh, felt decent about that and then have watched them play in the tournament and feel less good about that. I, I just really like Sean Miller as a coach. I think uh, – he, he is getting underrated and he has been all year. It seems like this Xavier team has been really good all year and continue to get a, a weak number. But uh, now at the Sweet 16, I, I don't think you're sleeping past anybody to think the idea. Somebody in the chat asks, Houston-Miami thoughts on the spread in total. That's an interesting game. I think uh, the issue with Miami is they struggle against good defenses. We saw in the Drake game, Drake was able to shut them down. And what better defense is there than Houston? Uh, on the other hand, offensively, how does Houston score? They basically have to have uh, Sasser essentially as their entire offense, and they have shed, they have other pieces. But uh, I would tend to argue that Miami has the guards to stay in front of these people. Like I am one of the highest people in the nation on Isaiah Wong. I think Isaiah Wong is an amazing basketball player. Uh, he's had rough shooting patches all year, but as a as a glue guy and a facilitator to a team, I think he is very important. So if he can step up on sh- on uh, Sasser when needed. I don't know how this game has points. I, it's going to be rough. I, I think Miami loses this game probably by six or seven. Not really entirely sure what the spread is off the top of my head. But, uh, seven I, and a half. Think, uh, we've seen money come in on uh, Houston today. Houston. I'm a part yeah. of it. I will say I laid six and a half today. It sounds like a football spread, but seven is pretty key in basketball <laughs> too. Uh, I would not lay seven and a half. Uh, now that Give it's me a touchdown. 
I did bet under too. I, I think under's right now at the current numbers, that's the sharper of the two sides. Did you bet it, Matthew? Yeah, I have some thoughts in that game. I saw it at six and a half last night, and I was hoping it would get to five and a half because people like Miami's guard. And when I saw seven and nine and a half, I was not a happy guy. I, I have two quick stats for you. Yep. One, Houston has played nine teams with sub 152 point percentage defenses, so teams that allow a lot of points inside. They've won by an average of 35 points in those nine games. Miami is 246, so we're talking lower on that list, and it's not a bunch of random non-con teams. Four of those games were conference games that they played. They won by 35 points against bad two-point defenses. Second, Miami is one and one and five against the spread when they allow 36% offensive rebound percentage or higher. And that's below Houston's average per game. So basically Miami has really struggled against Houston's great against teams that can't defend the rim. Miami struggled against teams that get offensive rebounds. And that's basically exactly this matchup. So I think it's a great matchup for Houston, but seven and a half is so much. For a Miami team that, like you said, Isaiah Long's an, an elite shot maker. Nigel Pack is playing well, and Omir can defend the rim. If you get if now at this point, if I can see a six and a half again, I will get on it. Any closing thoughts, guys? Yeah, hop on. Let's. Uh, I, I think I think if you're gonna try to, I, I got asked a lot this morning about uh, futures bets because you can hop Sweet Sixteen to champion. I think if you want to do something like that, Brad talked about it on another show, but mechanical parlay, especially from Sweet 16 yeah. on, the, the holds on these on these futures are ridiculous. Also, you can get uh, – you can shop – when you do a mechanical parlay, you can shop lines. So uh, use BetStamp, a little plug there, but shop uh, shop to the best line and you can get a better number on a mechanical parlay than you would ever be able to get. Uh, I saw a lot of people talking about the 50-1 to 1 for Miami. And it's like, okay, well, if you think that's going to happen, just parlay it through. They're going to be what? Plus, I don't, I don't know what they are in this Houston game, but uh, you're going to be able to get close to 50 to 1 by championship time. Oh, at least. I mean, they're going to be an underdog, a uh, big underdog Throughout. this round. I mean, even no matter who wins the Texas Xavier game, they'll be an underdog there. Whoever comes out of the other region, they'll be a big underdog in the final four. And they're pl- likely playing Alabama in the championship game. They're a big underdog there again. And then you could, uh, the beauty of the mechanical parlay, you could just stop. Uh, I mean, so uh, <laughs> I, yeah, don't be betting into stuff with 25 and 30% holds. Now, with that being said, look, if there's an off-market future number, if the whole world's dealing 40 to 1 or 50 to 1, you see some book dealing 75 to 1, by all means, and put some you know, some pizza money or something on a future tickets. But I just think too many people do that. Uh, Matthew, your thoughts? Do you got a bunch of futures uh, right now? I'm not a future guy in college basketball. That's me personally. Yeah, I'm, I, I wasn't a huge future guy in terms of the tournament this go round. I, I literally my my main one that I put some money on was UConn to win the the championship, and that was before the bracket was set. I just thought that they'd be a three or a four and have an easy if path cool. with the amount of talent they have. Yeah, and that's yeah, basically played itself out. Yeah, tough region. John, one last question in the chat before we sign off. Uh, Michigan State, Kansas State. Uh, quickly, I bet Michigan State. On the open, I laid pick. Obviously, the markets agreed with me. I just thought you'd give Tom Izzo extra time to prep. Been there, done that in this round. Kansas State's, you know, got a young coach. I mean, great story. Uh, kudos for them for coming together, a team that, that did, basically didn't play. I mean, basically a brand-new team this year. So I, I just figured the market would be on Michigan State. I also lean under. I mean, you're hearing a lot of that. So uh, you, did you guys uh, bet, bet the Michigan State-Kansas State game? Lean, agree with both side and total there. Uh, Michigan State, you give Izzo any amount of time. Listen, Izzo, 
is a track record of his own. He's he's proven this time and time again. Kansas State, an amazing story. Uh, I'm very happy to see Keontae Johnson was able to find a new home and do something after that incident in Florida. Uh, love him as a basketball player, and if, if they were to win this game, there's not many players I would be rooting for more than him. That said, I just don't think that they have enough going on. They're, they're a really well-groomed pickup basketball team with the talent output that they have, uh, and Michigan State is a, is a basketball team. So I think this is just too much Michigan State. Uh, in a game, that's going to be a really good game, but not one really good for anybody who wants to watch a lot of points. Matthew, did you uh, bet it? I've not bet it yet. Um, I think Michigan State's a little overvalued in terms of their talent level and where I have them ranked nationally. So I'm going to live bet this game. If it's played like a Big Ten game where they don't call any fouls, let them play physical, that heavily favors Michigan State. If it's ref like a Big 12 game, a.k.a. 30 free throws per team, that's a big advantage for K-State. Michigan State really struggles getting to the line, and they foul a bunch. So I'm going to play. I'm going to let this one play out at the start, sort of like what we were talking about with that Tennessee game, how they're calling fouls. I think that really favors Kansas State if it's a physical game with fouls being called. So I'll let that one go for now. Great points, Matthew. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, that should do it here. Before we sign off, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, hit the like button. Uh, if you really enjoyed the content today, make sure you're sharing it with your friends. Alongside Matthew Winning, alongside Corby Craig, I'm merely Brad Powers. You just watched Hit the Books, part of the Hammer Betting Network.